Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group here at the RSA Conference 2015 in San Francisco. I'm talking with Mark Clancy, Managing Director of Technology Risk Management at the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, and he's also CEO of Soltra, which provides an automated information sharing platform developed by the DTCC and the FSISAC. So, Mark, here at RSA, you're hosting a seminar that talks about advancing information risk practices. How does information sharing play into advancing info risk practices? So, from a risk management discipline, if we can look at how we look at financial risks, not having information about what threats are occurring is sort of like trading in the markets without market data. You don't have price discovery, you don't know what events are occurring, and that's basically what you need to understand the risk is what is actually happening to my competitors, to my friends, and other industries to get a sense of what does this mean to me. So Mark, let's talk a little bit about Soltra Edge, which of course is the product that Soltra is providing. This is the information sharing platform. I know that financial services has been very involved in automated information sharing, but what about other industries? So financial services, as you mentioned, has been the epicenter here, but we've been working very closely with the National Healthcare ISAC, with the multi-state ISAC, and others, including the retail, legal um, sector, to help them build capabilities, because they have the very same problems we've seen in the financial sector. The advantage that we have is we've spent 15 years between the FSISAC and DTCC working this problem, and with Soul Edge, we're able to take some of that you know, R&D cycle, if you would, and shorten it down so people can come to the next generation solution right away instead of having to do all that trial and error that we've worked through for the last decade and a half. And how does the automation work? What's the technology behind the information sharing platform? Yeah, so the technology is based on two standards. One is called STIX, which is Structured Threat Intelligence and Expression, and the other is called TAXI, which is Trusted Automated Exchange of Indicator Information. These were developed by research out of DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and the group, um, and it's really just a way of describing a threat such that a machine can understand it and a human can describe it. And this language is the key to having a way that you can put machine processing in front of it, and we kind of describe it sort of like how you know route trades through an exchange. We're trying to do this straight through processing, because what we were doing, which was effective, is we were sharing human to human, an institution to institution through email or a web portal, but we weren't able to just transact and use that data to defend our infrastructure, discover what's happening right away. And so the automation lets us do that, and then we can actually scale at the volume of these threats that are occurring and the speed at which they're occurring. You know, manual sharing is measured in hours if you do it quickly, and the attacks are happening in seconds and minutes. And so we need to get into that shorter cycle, and through machine-to-machine -machine communication with automation, we can really shorten that response cycle down. Do you think, Mark, that there are certain types of institutions that perhaps benefit more from being involved with automated information sharing than others? So would smaller institutions reap more benefits than larger institutions, or is it really difficult to categorize it in that way? It's a little bit difficult to categorize, but the basic problem is this, is you know, all of us are attacked every day by the same people. And the attackers have huge efficiencies because they write attack once and they use it a thousand times. So a thousand different companies respond to it like it never happened before. If we can share the information about the attack, maybe there's only 10 or 20 unique responses because we got in front of it. And so the attackers have to work much harder to come up with a thousand attacks to attack a thousand people instead of one attack to attack a thousand. So that's one piece. For scale, you know, at present, only the large institutions really have the expertise in, in threat intelligence to understand what's happening. And this is a way of essentially creating crowdsourcing. So if you're a smaller institution, you can benefit from all the knowledge in your community, which is probably mixed up of large and small institutions, and you can leverage it. 
Um, there is one challenge for small institutions which we're still working on, which is many of them don't operate their own infrastructure. They use outsourced service providers. And so the, the key to this is to make the relationships between the sharing communities, like an FSISAC or a healthcare ISAC, and the service providers those communities use to deliver their capabilities work so we can get comfortable with sharing that sensitive content to the service providers so they can protect the customers the service providers have, which in many cases are small and medium enterprises in those sectors. And that's the part we're working on now. And those are mostly business relationships, not technical ones. Are there privacy or legal concerns when it comes to sharing some of this information or maybe even working with some of these third parties where institutions have outsourced relationships? Um, there are legitimate concerns on privacy and, and liability concerns for sharing information. Part of the privacy concerns, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what is actually being shared and the data that's being shared that's described in that sticks language, which is really about what do you see the attack on the wire and it is not any information about what customers in the institution are doing and those kind of things. And so there's a very minimal amount of personally identifiable information and the personally identifiable information that is shared sometimes are things like the email address used to send the phishing message, which is never from an actual human, it's always somebody impersonating another person. Um, so there is that exchange and I think the structured language really helps shape the policy debate because we're talking about very specific things of what we're sharing, not all kinds of information about everything, which is I think where the concern on the privacy side goes. On the liability protection side, you know, there is legislation pending through Congress now. Both the House and the Senate are advancing bills. And I think that'll help because there are some companies, particularly not in the financial sector, who feel that they have exposure, that they share a piece of information that's wrong, somebody takes action on it, that they could get sued. And so the sharing communities have solved this problem by allowing anonymous submission. So the submission is not attributed to a particular party. And there have membership rules that say, look, if you act on this information, it's best effort, and you need to proceed with caution. You know, generally we think it's good, but if there's a mistake, then you're going to have to address it. And if you can add to that a legislative remedy to provide liability protections, you'll get some of the other critical infrastructure sectors more involved who haven't seen that risk-reward trade-off. You know, the financial sector, we're able to get in front of fraud because we can stop these attacks from succeeding and we can create a bottom-line benefit right away. If I'm running you know, a power plant or a water uh, facility, I don't see that return on investment in the same way that we did in the financial sector. And, and so the liability concerns may actually outweigh sort of return to the bottom line piece and I think the legislation can really help reduce some of those frictions. It's a good point that you make about other industries because I could see where there would be challenges there. In the financial space, just from you know my experience, the DDoS attacks that we saw three years ago really kind of helped propel information sharing. But in other industries such as retail, that type of information sharing may have been going on within that industry but sharing that information out to other industries, I could see where there'd be some concerns there. How is Soltra working with other groups such as retail to help enhance information sharing as we see these cyber attacks attacking retail in the same way that they're attacking financial services. Right, so th there's three components to the puzzle here. There's the content, what is actually happening, which is really coming from the communities like the ISACs. Then you have the context or the information about it, which might be coming from a commercial company, a threat intelligence provider. And then you have the distribution or the connectivity. And what Solter's really doing is connecting the content to the consumers and the publishers. 
And so the communities themselves, or the commercial entities that support the communities, are the ones who are developing the particular data. You know, the individual firms or you know the technology companies they use. And we're making sure that it can get from point A to point B, and then when it arrives at point B, it can be acted upon to help defend the infrastructure. And what about information sharing across borders? Is that something, Mark, that's happening now, or is it something that you foresee happening in the future? So it's very interesting, and I'm going to simplify the world in the four geographies. North and South America, which look a lot alike, Europe and Asia. And in North and South America, there's pretty much a relatively freedom or lack of hesitancy to share with inside an institution and between institutions. In Asia, it's not as advanced, but there is sharing, particularly in Australia and Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan. There's organizations forming, but it's still at an earlier state. It's not quite as advanced as particularly North America. And then in Europe, you have a challenge because this intersects with concerns about privacy and the European directives on privacy. And one of the things that's not well understood is in Europe, there is provision in European law for sharing information, including personally identifiable information, for anti-crime purposes. And the challenge has been getting general councils and regulators and legislators to understand that there is public good in this sharing. And so that's actually one of the things I'm going to be talking about later in the week in Latvia at Eurofi, which is a European Union's financial policy type summit, of this is actually a risk to Europe if they don't unlock information sharing, that global fraud is going to migrate to them, particularly as the U.S. increases the use of chip-based cards. Um, the U.S. has made big investments in anti-fraud solutions, and we can share information. Europe hasn't made huge investments in anti-fraud solutions relative to other markets because they had chip cards. The information sharing is potentially more constrained because of this understanding of policy. And I would expect in three to five years that you see a lot of migration of fraud into Europe. And that's something that the European Union needs to really think of as they look at their policy structure and getting those, what we call equities in the U.S. speak, uh, set right between privacy, consumer protection, infrastructure protection. That's interesting because we've spent so much time over the last three years talking about fraud migrating from Europe to the U.S., but it sounds like now we might actually see a transition. I, I believe so. I mean, in October of this year, the uh, liability rules in the U.S. changed for non-chip-based transactions to merchants. The exact you know, details are laid out in the industry cards solutions, but I think that's going to provide an incentive to merchants to use those chip-based cards, and if we level the technology playing field over you know a few-year period of time between the U.S. and Europe, then the other two attributes, information sharing and the fraud management piece, where I become the equalizer. Because right now, I, I heard a stat that 50% of global fraud in this card space occurs in the U.S. Well, that's because the technology is quite different. As we make investments in this new chip-based technology, that will equal out to other markets. And then the other attributes of information sharing and, and fraud management capabilities, I think, will be the difference in where the fraud winds up. And then one final question, Mark, and then I'll let you get off to enjoy the rest of the event here. Is the FSISAC and Soltra, ultimately, are you working with other industry groups, such as the Financial Services Roundtable? Yeah, actually, the, the Financial Services Roundtable is critical to the success of us forming Soltra in the first place. The roundtable had a meeting of bank CEOs. They went to the roundtable and said, hey, cybersecurity is a big problem for us. What can we do about it? And the roundtable brought to that leadership group saying there was this volunteer project that the FSISAC and DTCC were working on that was called Avalanche at the time. It was to deal with the avalanche of threat data that we had. We should really go supercharge this. And so the roundtable
roundtable members were able to help us raise the bootstrapping money to go create Soltra as a company and then launch this solution as a free service for people to use as well as an ongoing commercial concern so we could support the capability for the long haul. So we're all working together on this. You know, we have the different trade groups. We have the roundtable. We have SIFMA the security side. We've got a number of these groups, you know, American Bankers Association, the Credit Union Associations, and we're using the Financial Services Sector Coordinating Council, where all those trade groups and owner-operators are, as another rallying point for the sector so we can all get aligned and help promote these types of solutions for, on behalf of the sector and, of course, other sectors as well. Well, Mark, I want to thank you again for your time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Mark Clancy of Soltra. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy. Kitten.